This podcast contains adult language. DigitalDarren.com. Today is July 22nd, 2020. And for all of our faithful listeners, you know that since COVID is out and there is no sports to talk about, really not that much dating stuff we talked about. We delved into the world of music, sports and movies and TV. And we've had this ongoing series of The Wire where Darren watches The Wire. And we've, after every season, me and the first lady of Digital Darren have watched, we've done a podcast. So we've got through seasons one and two, and we're on season three right now. So we're continuing that series, Darren Watches the Wire, season three. With the first lady, how are you doing today? I'm good. That's good. That's good. So season three of The Wire. <laughs> Your favorite season so far, right? So let me stop right there. I have a bombshell announcement. Hold on. I think this is the greatest season of any show in the history of television. <laughs> all the way in i feel like that. i feel like so i i've been holding this from you for <laughs> i've been holding this from you for the whole time i was like you tricky little devil you exactly but i really do feel this is the greatest season i mean we can't talk about sitcoms because they don't they don't have building up to it type things or whatever yeah. and like huh okay like you know it's just every episode is kind of individualistic but i think that this is the greatest I haven't watched it that many, but this is the greatest non-sitcom show, season of a non-sitcom show I've ever seen. So what, what what are you comparing it to? What does it beat out in your book? Well, first and foremost, Game of Thrones. That's a pretty big deal. Hopefully you don't get, like, hate mail. No, no, no. Game of Thrones is... So the thing about Game of Thrones is Game of Thrones is the highs are higher mm-hmm. in Game of Thrones, but, like, there's a lot of dead... Not a lot. It, it, there's a lot of kind of stuff that I'm not as enthralled with. So, like, whenever you talk about Game of Thrones with people, mm-hmm. everybody kind of hit the same scenes. The red wedding and kind of Ned, Di- you know, spoiler alert, Ned dying so soon. <laughs> blase this, blase that, right? Like, I don't think this season had that kind of those peak moments or whatever. I think it just was consistently A-plus uh, a consistent. There's a couple of... Consistent. It does, but like red, it, has it has at one, least one red wedding. It has one red wedding. And we'll get to that. But like by and large, it was an A the whole time and it developed better. And I think what made it better than the other two seasons for me, one of the reasons is that the side stories off of the main stories were more compelling than the normal main stories. I would say season three probably season three and four of The Wire are probably rated the top. So that's in line with what people say. You haven't seen four or five yet to really judge, but that's aligned. Yeah, so right now, greatest season of TV watching I've ever had in my life. So why don't you And it was not perfect. It's not perfect, but it's the greatest season of TV watching I've ever seen in my life. In your life? Yeah. And that's that's impressive because you're 40 years old. <laughs> you didn't have to throw that out there and wax like that, but <laughs> in my life, yeah, it is. Well, so, so why did you love it? Because I know this season there were a couple of characters that you just... You you know when Darren gets excited, he 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 perks up, his voice gets really high pitched, and he and just giggles like a schoolgirl. <laughs> um, it was a team up that got me giggling like a schoolgirl. Oh, I, before they even team up, you were giggling. You were like, "Go ahead, tell us about the uh, the SM." SM. Oh. <laughs> Who was your favorite character this season? Who did you get so excited about? Um. Did I get excited about okay, now Super Muslim? Yes, exactly. But they introduced him last season. Yeah, but this season is where you were like, oh yeah, the culmination <laughs> of Super Muslim. Hell, so like, but he was kind of a that just so brother Muzon, who's a contract hitter out of 
Nor, uh, New York yeah. got you so excited. And this season, he comes back. You didn't think he was coming back. Because when we started this season, you were like, I don't know. I- Yo, without Super Muslim, what can you do? Yeah, you got really excited for him. And he teamed up with your boy Omar. Exactly. It sounded like somebody writing my credit writing class. Okay, let's start it like this. What's an interesting topic? Okay, we got a contract killing Muslim from New York City. Okay, <laughs> let's team him up with a bank, a, a hood cat who's really good at robbing. Well, that's not good enough. Okay, let's make this hood cat gay. <laughs> not only is he gay, but he has a certain level of morals, too. So he's like an anti-hero. Wow, let me turn this into the teacher. I got to get an A for this. Sound like something I would write, which it delivered on everything you could think of. But I think that this is what I was expecting from season one. So you remember me and you talking. I didn't put this in our podcast. And, you know, I was like, season one went all that good because you saw Avon maybe five minutes in the whole season mm-hmm. and you know string they didn't develop stringer but it was much more about in the hood kind of talk not the big mm-hmm. weird type of talking i think that this was what i was expecting man. season one to get to at some point like this season can be defined as the avon and stringer show yeah so i think this season what's really cool is like you said the side stories you get to see a greater greater insight into the character's particularly into Avon and Stringer, right? Because it starts out with Avon still in jail and Stringer's running the show. And you see that they have two different management styles. Mm-hmm. Um, and Stringer is really about that legit game. And he wants to, you know, use that uh, community college degree he's working on in his, you know, ma- uh, macroeconomics class and how to be a manager to deal with the hood. And Avon's like, no, 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 no. That's not how we're going to do it. But while he's in jail, he lets Stringer run it the way he sees fit. But a couple, I don't know if he let him. I don't think you really can do that much about it, right? Cause, and I think that this ties into another point I want to make. I think Avon loves Stringer more than Stringer loves Avon. And we can talk more about that. Because that's going to lead to down further in the show, some things okay. I picked out. But I think that it's one of those things where, like you said, they saw the world in two different ways. And you said this at the initial first um, thing. Avon was born into the game. Stringer just was his best friend or buddy or whatever. Something I wish they really would delve into. How they I really think they should come out with a prequel. That's a really good idea. You need to like... <laughs> Pitch that to HBO. Don't to, steal my idea. Get some crowdfunding up to... Oh, no, I should be an executive director, right? That's what they do. They just make you a director if they overdo it. There you go. But um, I think that like one was born into the game, so he sees it one way. For Stringer, you can see that the game was always a mean a means to an end. And like, I don't think season one, they knew how to develop him like that. But I think that Avon did let him because Avon's the boss. So just because the boss goes away, he was still the boss and he gave it to a secondhand man and let him run with some stuff he didn't agree with to begin with. Yeah, but I think that ties into the point that he loves. I think he loves Stringer. So I think part, because like you said, he didn't agree with it. And he's one of them people who like, if he don't agree with something, he's going to. Put the tr- he's gonna punt the brakes on, but I think because he loves drinking, you like blase this, blase that. Let him try it his own. Love, trust, all of the things that you know they're part a good of. relationship. Yeah. yeah. So like, I, I think that that was kind of that was the defining thing of the season. Like, and it's easy to say. So I can see a lot of myself in kind of stringer bell. In this relate, in this string in the A one. No, no, not like that. Just like being from a hood place or a place where, like, you know, just, I'm sure most guys, if you made out of a hood place and not not even dope, if you're doing something legit with somebody else who you've been cool with most of your life, isn't doing something legit, like you can see fundamental differences in how you move. Because like a legit dude isn't gonna go violence first or whatever. Like most people, are just gonna try to like. Move like Stringer with moving, like get out, get in this new world, make my money in the new world or whatever. Like I have this knowledge, I can apply it everywhere. Like that's how most school people think. I got this school book knowledge, I can apply it everywhere. But a hood cat ain't really think like that. They just know, look, you try me, I'm gonna beat you up. What a, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna f you up. Fuck, I'm gonna fuck you up. Did you dare on curse? But um, <laughs> if you try me, I'm gonna fuck you up. Whatever that version of it is, right? You know what I'm saying? And so it's not one scene where, you know, we're going to talk about Clay Davis because that's a side story that I thought was very interesting. And one scene, Springer was ordering Slim Charles, one of my new favorite characters, to kill Clay Davis. And basically, 
he he broke character, right? So Stringer was always the cool because one of the things, one of the most iconic scenes was when they were having the meeting. Basically, what he made them stand up like he was holding like a board of directors. Meeting. Yeah, he had the local drug dealer co-op. Not the co-op, the one where he had the hitters, their goons, and they had the they had, they were into like a normal meeting where they kept minutes oh, yeah, and they yeah, raised yeah. hands. Yeah, well, they weren't supposed to keep minutes, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But like they were running like a normal like yeah meeting, and so like what I, what he said was was like how corners weren't important anymore. We got the best product. And he was like, we gave, basically they gave away property. We've been fighting over property. We gave away property, but had the best product. We made more money. And he was like, basically getting rid of, he said, not having property makes us better because we don't have, property brings, you know, beef, beef, bang, bodies, bodies bring the police. Mm-hmm. And he was telling them, you need to quit thinking like hood cats. When he got in that other world and saw that it was kind of, a clean version of that. He went to a, he went somewhere he's not used to. Where somebody who's saying, "Hey, let's stay away from the violence. Let's make money." The minute whoever he whatever he think about this pure and perfect world, the minute it screws him, he tries to go to violence. And I think that that's one of the things where it's like make the season interesting. Like somebody who is trying to move one make get screwed in the way he tries to move and basically goes all out in a way he's not even familiar with. Yeah. So, you know, like I always talk about, the thing that I love about The Wire is <clears throat> you meet these characters who are labeled with things. And Stringer Bell's a drug dealer, right? And he's bad because he's a drug dealer. Where Clay Davis, who's a politician, is good because he's a politician. They're both playing angles and trying to take advantage of people. And Stringer thought his knowledge was up there, that he was ready to be on the legit side and could really rumble with the big dogs because he was the big dog in the arena in which he played. He was used to sunning people, putting people on the knowledge, doing all that. So when he get, got into a bigger arena, he quickly became the little dog and, and knew practically nothing. And that's why he got taken advantage of. And he got taken advantage of by the contractors who raped him. He got taken advantage of by Clay Davis because he bought into that. I mean, even his lawyer laughs at him and was like, oh, you fell for this bullshit? Whereas would it have been, you know, a scheme in the hood he would have been prepared for it and seen it coming and been able to react. But because it was dressed up nice in a suit, he wasn't looking for the hook. Right. So like completely just being able to see people who at the end of the day have the same motive, the same weaknesses, the same strengths, but yet sit on different sides of the fence and how, I mean, I feel bad. I love Stringer when I first watched this, like that was one of my favorite characters. Um, He became this season. He became a character. uh, Iconic. He became iconic. And I'll say this. Avon said the best. They saw your ghetto ass coming from a mile away. Yeah, I love when he said that. When he he let Stringer do his thing. All right. Like, okay, keep playing that role. You know, whatever. I'm going to be over here handling the shit I need to handle. You go play in that world. And then Stringer got his world rocks when he got taken advantage of. And Avon had to tell him about himself. Like, what the fuck made you think that you could put on a suit or, you know, one of these little turtlenecks you'd be wearing and sit down for these luncheons? That motherfucker saw your ghetto ass a mile away, like you said, and knew they could rape you. Like, you just, you fell for the same shit we play on these stupid motherfuckers. You fell for it. And now you want to act all big and bad and put us in jeopardy. Oh, no, 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 sir. And so they quickly, both of them, for different reasons, quickly began to see that the other one was a roadblock or an impediment to the, the vision they had for themselves and for the organization. So I ultimately think this was a Cain and Abel type story. Like brothers who have brothers who have love for each other, but their fundamental difference is the, the fence that they can never cross. Right. Like Avon can never jump in the Springer's world. Spring, Stringer world. Stringer yeah, don't I'm going to need you to put some respect on his name and say yeah, it right. Stringer don't have the capability to jump in Avon's world. And for both reasons, they don't have the capability to jump in each other's world. And so I think that that was, you know, we spend a lot of time on this because this is, to me, the defining part of this season or whatever. I think there are three kind of storylines that define this season. And I think that like 60 percent of it falls into kind of this kind of. And this storyline is classic, right? It's classic strategy. And this is what power tries. Power literally takes this storyline with Tommy and Ghosts. Tommy being Avon and Ghost being Stringer and plays it out. Like, that's exactly... Powers took this whole entire scenario, hook, line, and sinker. So let me ask you this. Is Powers just as good as The Wire? No. Is it close? Mm, I, I love The Wire. For, mostly because of season four we're going to get into. So I've talked to Calhoun, who everybody knows from Digital Dare. He said, Powers know what The Wire. He said... I would agree. He would like it. It's like... 
power's on level four, the wire's on level 20. Like, it's nowhere near each other or whatever. And they took, they literally took this tragedy of he said, and that's Avon, what he said. He said that. It's no and problem. they gave it a not as sophisticated, not as in-depth uh, viewpoint on it. Like, very just kind of simple down down the road. So, I, I always thought the wire took New Jack City. Like, Nino and G-Money kind of, at least from season one, it seemed so much like New Jack City to me. Like, well, but now you've seen season three. Would you still agree? I think season one started with that concept. I do still feel like they took that base concept, right? Like, how do we catch this dope guy? The difference is, like, a movie needs star or some a character bigger than life. Where it's like, you know, Nino Brown was bigger than life. He had to carry the movie. But I think conceptually, it's some parallels, but that's just maybe because it's drug game talking, drug game talk, right? You know what I'm saying? So I could see that. Well, um, I think the, the scene where they're on Avon's little balcony and they're talking about like, hey, can you remember we used to, you know, run up here at the harbor and act all crazy and just reminiscing is just such a great scene because at this point they both have sold the other out and they both have done something against soon to come against the other. And there's a level of guilt, but not enough guilt to change their minds. They know what's happening. And they both are like, you know, hey, it's business. Um, Not knowing that the other one has done the same exact thing to the other one. And I think it's good because normally they paint someone out to be a bad guy. In that situation, they were both doing the same exact thing for the same exact reasons. So I I agree with that, but I disagree with that. I think that the part I agree with, they were doing the exact same range for the same things, but I disagree with the same reasons. I think, to your point, and spoiler alert, Stringer Bell, can we drop the bomb now? Yeah, I mean, this show is 20 years Stringer old. Stringer Bell gets killed. He gets killed basically because... By your, at, by your combo. By my combo, the dream team of killing. Um, <laughs> he gets killed by Omar and Brother Muzon because basically, Brother Muzon goes to Avon and says, look, I think we've put the pieces together. Stringer tried to say, oh, Mark, to kill me or whatever. Like, whatever happened, Stringer, and A1 figures it out. He's like, how can I make this right? Let me just give you some money to make it right. He was like, money won't. Basically, he said, money isn't good enough. I need to get the person who got me. And so, Avon reluctantly gives Stringer up with it. Stringer wasn't as reluctant to give A1 up. Stringer was trying to just get rid of that life. Like, I don't know. I mean, you say that, and you like to say that Avon loves Stringer more. But Stringer was just trying to get Avon locked up. Avon got him murdered. Well, I think it there's was, a big difference in that. It is, but I think it's a. I think the thing. I think the thing that happened was Avon got presented with this either you or him situation. It wasn't a you or him situation. It was a you lose your ability to connect it to to New York. He didn't say I'm gonna kill you. He just said, yeah, but it's still a lightweight version of hey. No, you either give no, me up or you no, can't no, or you no. won't be able to do business no. in New York. Because then that club was coming from New York. Uh, I don't care. If someone says, hey, I'm going to hook up your, I'm going to break up your hookup at Best Buy. You don't get CDs for free or I'm going to kill you. There's a drastic difference. No, so it's a difference. It's this. <laughs> Let's say you are a used car salesman and somebody comes to you and says, you won't be able to go to, somebody comes to you and say, hey, you can't go to auction anymore. You can't go to any auction anywhere anymore. There's a big difference between that and I'm going to kill you. Uh, I can see like your livelihood. you cease to breathe, which it trumps your livelihood. Any I, I can see when it's a, hey, it's your livelihood. Him. I, can, I see your point, but I can see the, also the other side. There's life versus a dollar. In this world, a dollar means more to life. But I so we'll not, agree to disagree. No, no, I'm not. I understand where you come from. I my thing is the point I'm saying is that basically Avon had to get twisted to sell string out. Stringer was gonna sell Avon out anyway, just because he felt like he had outgrown. We're gonna agree to disagree. You don't feel like Avon. You feel? Do you feel like it was a need for Avon? A Stringer I would to sell say Avon that someone out. came knocking on Avon's door, where Stringer. One knocking on someone else's door. Exactly. And that's a difference. However, the doors are drastically different. The result is drastically different. But I think I think it's something to be said. So the actually this is an interesting if thing. If, so actually let's say that we may do this for a Patreon podcast. I do think that's an interesting concept. Like who's more in the wrong in that case? Um yeah, and I'm not even saying that. 
Because I'm not. Gonna, I think they're on equal footing, and that there's no love lost. They're both on the same page. But if you're telling me someone is going to take someone's life, that is by far more drastic than their livelihood. So I think in our world, I think that that makes. Do you think if it was the decision for Stringer to kill Avon, he would have killed Avon? Just as easily as he would have sent him to jail, set him up to go to jail. Nah, because that wasn't his character. Like he wasn't a killer. Like he, like I, so. I think that that goes against what he was about. Because one that just goes against what he was about. Stringer is a businessman. Like he was in, he was born in the wrong. Which game. one would you rather? Should your friend decide to take your livelihood or take your life? I mean, okay. Now, which one would I rather? <clears throat> Would I like if in that world? So what you're saying makes sense. I'm not doing a good job. Would you rather go to jail or still be dead? Some people say they'd rather be dead than in jail. Would you say? Because that's some dumb shit. Nah, I'd rather go to jail. But if you're going to jail for life without parole, first of all, you saw how he lived in jail. It wasn't like he was in Shawshank Redemption. (laughs) He was up here eating fucking KF buckets of KFC, living his life. Yeah, we, we bay, got, shout out for Weebay with the cameo in jail. Uh, he got sentenced to 10 years, right? 10. I think it was 10. And he did like 20 months. So, like, obviously, shit ain't that hard. So, I think that, I guess the point I'm trying to make is that. I'm saying, I'm sorry to keep cutting you off, but I feel pretty strongly about this. I do too. When Stringer saw a obstacle in D'Angelo, he killed him. So it's not like D'Angelo or he got him killed. So, okay, so, so it's Stringer's not a, like he couldn't go that route. He could have gone that nah, route. You can't go that route with Avon. He could have. That's very hard to do with Avon. You, you know how people are out there hungry? I mean, he he tries to mastermind these setups like he tried to put uh, Super Muslim so, against Omar and it doesn't work out. But he could have gone that route. But the difference between all them and D'Angelo is that Super like. Avon's a street guy. He's watching for that. It may not be from Stringer, but he's watch. He know he's watching for somebody trying to kill him. But Stringer had all the intimate knowledge, including where he he got him that little apartment, so he could get anyone in there. He could have he could have done it himself if he really wanted. He's to. not a do it yourself type guy in this space. Well, I also am not a do it yourself. I'm a do it for me person. So <laughs> I would probably hire a hitter too. But I think that if Avon survived, he knows who did it. That's the one thing you're paying for. Like where is I fundamentally think they disagreed with each other. They saw each other as an obstacle to what they thought was the vision. I don't and, think Avon by any means necessary, they were willing to take that that impediment out, that speed bump to the life they wanted. So I don't think Avon I think that's a, a completely stringer way of looking for him. I think Avon was completely fine with getting back to business as normal. And if if Super Muslim never come, he never see a string out. He don't go knocking on that door to see a string out. Well, we talked about Stringer didn't knock on the door. However, as soon as someone knocked on the door, Avon opened it, fixed him dinner, gave him a nice... Oh, somebody he knows who is going to come. Super Muslim is this legendary killer. He's coming to kill you. Digital Darren listeners. Darren will sell you out in a heartbeat if if it's between him and something that he got the hookup on. Let y'all him lose his toy connect. Okay? Y'all got to go. Calhoun, you you might be gone. (laughs) If it's Calhoun or the toy connect, you dead. But again, that's the difference between that and Jen going around saying, hey, I'm tired of Darren. It's like cheating. Hey, I'm tired of my husband. Let me set you up for murder. Yeah. And get you to go to jail. Oh, no. Let me just Set him up to go to jail. That way we can be happily ever after together. You would. If I did that, you'd still be in a much better situation than, hey, I don't like my husband. Let me kill him. <laughs> no, that wasn't the situation. The situation was if your lover were like, what? I, let me just. Darren, if it comes down to it, send me to jail. Don't kill me. Okay. <laughs> I got you. So. I think. So that was basically we don't spit this whole time on stringing Avon. Which, well, that's because it's. It's so key, and it's to me, it's just beautiful how you saw their them evolve and go down two separate paths. It was so. Let me ask you this, because like you've seen much more TV than me. What would this? What would that relationship rank on? Kind of like in the wire specifically. Like, is that the top thing you like about the wire? Kind of the Stringer Bear Avon kind of. 
No, I told you the top thing, hands down, what I like is that you see points of view and the similarities between all of the different people in a community, from politicians to drug dealers to cops to whoever. At the end of the day, we're all humans and we're motivated by the same things, and we make the same mistakes. Yet some people are given a, pa- a pass. Just depend on which side of the fence you proceed to sitting on. Dear. Yes, and season four, which is about the kids really will hit that home because these kids were born into a situation that dictated what their lives were going to be. Okay. So any more thoughts on Avon and Stringer? R.I.P. Stringer Bell. R.I.P. I mean, I cried when that, when I first saw that, I love me some Stringer Bell. Were you surprised? Hell yeah. Like Stringer Bell, he ain't supposed to die. I thought Avon would die over Stringer. I think it was, I think they tied into it how it made sense, right? So Stringer had been playing. He'd been trying to play everybody against everybody, right? And like, I think that's the fundamental lesson. Like when I think about it, I'd be like, the the takeaway here is don't know your lane. Don't try to get in another lane and don't think you know more. Don't, don't feel yourself too much because he felt himself too much and tried to be this puppeteer and this mastermind and that shit blew up. I think that one thing I'll say is that he's always underestimated Omar like a string of Omar he's always underestimated Dave underestimated him as an organization but specifically because he's gay Dave underestimated Omar I don't know if that's why but you know he they habitually underestimated he thought he was a little smarter I mean look he had the like you said he had his crew running like a freaking councilman meeting with freaking (laughs) seconds and notes and then he had a co-op where they had like the same thing going he's up here his idea was pretty phenomenal, what he was trying to do. It made sense. Like, the way he talked to them at night in the co-op and that other meeting, that was an iconic scene. That was an iconic Stringer Bell scene to me because he explained, basically, he like, man, that corner shit dead. Like, he basically was saying, what well, A1 telling y'all is dead because they were talking about, like, poop, like, it's going to make us look like some punk-ass bitches because we don't have corners. Slim Troy was like, where are we going to sell it? He like, we'll just wholesale. Like, you could tell, like, he... You could tell the fundamental difference between him and Avon. Avon was like, I want my corners. String was like, damn, corners, we making more money just doing, staying out the way wholesale. Well, the episode with Clay Davis, where Clay talks about walking instead of running, and Stringer was like, I'm ready to run. If he would have just took heed to that life lesson to walk. So what do you think walking mean in that case with Clay Davis? I thought that meant when he said that and looking back at it in totality, mm-hmm. I thought walking meant, hey, you will get, you will make a little and get screwed a little as opposed to, hey, you ready to run. That means you're going to screw a lot. Basically, it's all game. It's all, it's a go. Yeah, but I'm, I mean, outside of Clay in life, the problem is Stringer took his first couple steps, realized what steps were and decided to take off. And thought he knew better. If he would have took some time to just really understand and develop and understand people better, he wouldn't. He tried to do too much too fast. Is Stringer your all-time favorite character? No. Bubbles. No, no, no. Okay, so I guess the answer is no. Yeah, no. Okay. I just think it's... I think there's... Okay, I can't take any life lessons from Bubbles. Maybe I can't (laughs) relate to (laughs) Craig. But Stringer, I really can relate to in someone wanting to do better and finding a way to do it, but seeing the mistakes in which he made, because I think it's very easy to quickly think, you know, you know me, I'm a know-it-all. He was a know-it-all. So like you quickly think that you're the smartest person in the room and don't realize when you step into another room, how quickly you become not the smartest person. I think that's all of us, right? So like, especially if you got some level of learning, right? So like if you, in this, in that space he was the biggest he was a big fish in the small a big fish in the small pool right like he said in the, I don't know if it was season season one when he told D'Angelo not to pay him he was like what you think these motherfuckers gonna do go get jobs go to school mm-hmm. so like is yeah, he but that's the problem is that I don't understand because I I know I can be the big fish in a little pond and, and have been but the minute I, like for work for example so at home I could be like with you know my family growing up I could be the big fish in a little pond as soon as I get to some, some meetings at work, I quickly realize that I am a, I don't even know if I'm a fish in the pond. I'm but like a freaking a tadpole. But I think that the fundamental difference between, in that statement is that he was bankrolling them. Like, make no mistake, Stringer don't probably have more physical money than everybody they talk to on 
Yeah, but legit but, and illegit side. But, that's the, but that blinds too, right? Power. That blind that blinds you too, though, right? So like, if you see him saying, "Hey, you know, when this main thing, I just bankrolled two hundred fifty thousand, I'm not getting no fucking results." Whereas he come from a world where, hey, if I put two hundred fifty thousand in, it's coming back like this or whatever. So I think that money also blinds you from being smart, from thinking you're the smartest person in the room because you got the most money. If you would just took his time. And realize how development works and how everything legit was working and try to dip and dabble. Instead, he tried to become, I mean, he literally bought all the real estate on the whole side of the freaking city in hopes of redevelopment contracts. He just tried to do too much too fast. So I think that in life you need mentors. Like I reluctantly admit that. And I think that he. Darn reluctant. Jeez. No, because I, I haven't taken advantage of it. So. But I think that. The problem is I don't know who who would be in that space. Right, to mentor you? No, to mentor Stringer Bell. I mean, ultimately it would have been Clay Davis, right? Like somebody who could show you how to kind of, maybe not clean up. Not the shark that's trying to eat you. Like you're not freaking finding Nemo and go up to the shark. They they didn't introduce that type of character, right? That's what I'm saying. I don't know how you find that person. Because whoever is that person that can relate to what you're going through has left that a long time ago. You gonna laugh? Probably the closest person to that is Proposition Joe. I don't think he's the closest person to it, but I think he could have got some of the patience and long game strategy from because that's Proposition Joe's whole entire patience and long game. Yeah, bro. and to see what he sets it up to get what he wants out of it, well before you even know. Huh. So, like, I think he, I think if Stringer had that part of, if he had that characteristic from Proposition Joe, he would have been locked up. Yeah, but I mean, you can see how Stringer gets that way. I mean, you know, he's he's a boss. He's tall. He's good looking. Like he he's he's built to run. Oh, Prop he, Joe. Meanwhile, he just got come. He's used to walking. Meanwhile, he got come by a short, fat, fake Martin Luther King looking dude. Brother Muzon's not fat. No, Clay Davis. Oh, he's a little chubby. <laughs> but that. All that to say that we spent 30 minutes talking about String and Avon, which was warranted. They deserve it. They deserve it. Stringer Bell alone deserves it. I wouldn't go that far. R.I.P. R.I.P. Stringer Bell. But I think Can you him, tag yourself in this? I would tag him. Maybe he'll get, come on. What if he said he want to come on and talk about it? Would you want to be on, on, on the show that day? I'd be applying for a hall pass on my computer. Excuse me. Stringer Bell wants to talk to me. What are the rules and regulations? I'd be like looking up free. Hi, my husband needs to meet you. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> yeah, R.P. Stringer Bell. Don't worry, you had a, a long pause there. Yeah, because I'm not going to try to molest Stringer Bell. You probably would, but I, I, that's your one Darren, free one. I, I take our vows very seriously. <laughs> Just tell him not to speak with a British accent. <laughs> Hold on, you like the British accent? Yeah. Who don't like accents? So you, don't, I would think you would like the. He didn't have a British accent in the show. Yeah, I mean, whatever. I would think you want to role play with Stringer Bell, not Idris Elba. No. Mm-mm. You thinking about it? I see that look on your face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would think you want to. What if we go to sleep tonight and you hear me? Oh, Stringer. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. Like you did that two months ago. What? You're right. <laughs> not your uh, but again, greatest show of TV history. I mean, greatest season in TV history for me. Majority of that is Stringer Bill Avon. So how do you feel what, what, what this season introduces you to, though? You get more of the Prop Joe story, but the big thing is here is you have another player with, with Marlo Stanfield and his little crew, and it introduces a different different a different system, if you will. So I think Marlo is Avon, at least from what they've shown so far. I think that Marlo is Avon. Like, I think they are that level. So like, it's not the prequel I'm talking about, but it's prequelish. Like you can see, like the young Kobe seeing LeBron coming or whatever. Like you can see the next person who you know what I'm saying. Like they may not have the same game, but they have the same kind of. I wish you saw more of the history because Marlo just pops up with a whole crew and doing some badass shit. Do they develop if, more of the history later on? No, they go forward, not backwards. But it's like, how did he just show up? Because these people have been selling drugs in West Baltimore this whole entire time. Where the hell did this dude just come from? So I think they they alluded to it in the when they were talking about how basically when they so what's his name um 
Avon, the Barksdale crew only had the six towers, right? And the low rise. They only had the projects. You're right. So they weren't worried about the downtown the expansion. Yeah, so like they 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 were just then they say they were making twenty million or something like that. Something crazy. They were making like two million a, a month or something. So it was something crazy. So like they weren't and even when they were running it, they're Top. So they wouldn't have known who the people were because they were in a different geography. Like yeah, they, they were, didn't care. You didn't care five blocks down the road because indicator they were doing this when we're worried about. Yeah, yeah. and we got the pro- we got the number one dope spot. Like we had, like it was everybody said they had the number one dope sh- property in the city. But when, why would the police know who he was? Shouldn't they know? Who who the Avon? Police? No, um, Mark. They always seem a day late and a dollar short. The, I'll also tell you that what my takeaways from the wire. Is the police are retarded and don't ever, ever talk to the police because they really try to act like they have some shit. Like when they had Bodie in the, um, well, let's talk about that. So little kid gets killed by over a corner beef because of a stray. Bodie and them try to throw the, the guns over the river and don't realize there's a freaking boat <laughs> underneath. So they get them into the uh, hole, into the box or whatever, talking about we know what gun's yours. Bodie's like, which one? They picked the wrong one. So he knows like... I don't even remember where I was going with this. But. Just how idiotic cops are. Oh, yeah. Cops are retarded. And they try to get them to, to convince, you know, convince to confess as soon as they said they had the guns. Where most people would be like, oh, shit, I really need to. No, you don't need to. These people are idiots. And even <laughs> if they have the right shit, they're going to fuck something up. At least the Baltimore City Police. I don't know if this is how real police work. So. I think it's real police. I think it goes back to what you were talking about, about who's smart and who's not. Right? Like that, in that situation, they're already thinking you're stupid. Like I'm sure no very few cops are interviewing somebody on Bodie level, the street level, and thinking he's smart. They're just thinking, hey, this dumb like Well, he knew some words because he was like, Ain't this entrapment? Like he was saying some words. I will also say that like don't ever don't just don't work with the police, especially when they first get you in here. The only caveat to this is because you have the whole entire time, right? You get arrested. It's not going to help you there. You have to go to trial. If you're going to talk or cut deals, that's when you should do it because that's when it matters. The only people I've heard of getting screwed would be these Atlanta public school people. That motherfucker should have cut deals and talked. <laughs> the people who went to jail for that thought they were, you know, had the right wrong and they weren't wrong. And so they were going to just go out like soldiers. Those people got screwed. That's another part. That's another podcast. Calhoun and myself did the Atlanta schools trial way before Ti anybody else did it. I'll go. That podcast is like number fifty, forty eight, or fifty, or something like. That. I don't think you're five million. Yeah, it, we did this probably right when it when they got. Sent- well, those twelve people who didn't take a plea, those are the only people in history who should have taken a plea. But I'm glad you brought up kind of police because that leads me to my second favorite story in this um season what's that officer Colvin. oh bunny bunny i i, I loved his even though his character didn't say that much until the end like and his motivations weren't really made clear per se i thought that like i thought that was very interesting how they developed like the free zones and what Amsterdam. yeah Amsterdam. i thought that was like really 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 good so like you saw you saw the dope end of it right like you saw like the whole seasons have been about dope end now you finally get to see the cop in and like you see McNulty wanting to bring people in just to prove he again going back to your smartest person in the room or whatever now you see a cop who just wants to who actually cares who actually gives a damn and when that little what was a boy or girl I think it was a boy who got killed that little 8 year old with the stray bullet cause that's how it gets to this yeah. um, in that scene he says Cause I think it took the police or like whoever a while to get there. And he says, I remember when an eight year old getting killed was a bit like basically a bigger was a bigger deal. deal. Yeah. And now like nobody cares. And he fundamentally has a problem with that. Cause that is pretty effed up. And he, he comes to say at the end, he was like a lot of people, a lot of police today on police. They just triggered like one of, like he was telling Corvin. Yeah, he was on car. I mean, car excuse me. He was telling Carver, He was like, you don't know shit. You don't know shit. Like, it's the difference between being a police and being running around here beating up little kids or whatever. Well, how many times did he go to Carver? Like, yo, who are the mid-level lieutenants in this sector? Carver, like, I don't know. Who's this? I don't know. Like, what the fuck kind of policing are you doing? And, you know, Carver them just want to go beat up kids. They just want to beat up bullets, right? Boaties. They yeah, want to beat up boaties. They want to beat up boaties. Him, her, all them. And Carver, I mean, and, you know, I want to say Colvin was taking Carver on the swing, but he was saying, no, police work is more than that. Like, 
police work should be making a real difference, not just beating them up to release them again, just to beat them up, basically continue this endless cycle. And so I think that was ingenious of him to come up with the plan. And I think it was, I think that was a, a thing that moved the plot to a needed place. Because like you said, in this world where everybody's thinking about themselves, even like quote unquote good guys like Matt Nolte, he's not really thinking about the bigger picture. He's just thinking about himself. Colvin was the first person I could see who was thinking about others in that case. Yeah, and he came up with a very interesting idea. I wish he didn't have so much confidence because in his mind he was about to retire and he was going to go out in this major pension, and they all the way screwed him. I think it has, you know, right? Because, like, ultimately he was making dope legal in the city. Yeah, but, like, you know, you think some things are protected. I wish I wish he would have been more protected because he did have a good idea, and whether it was wrong in execution, he still had built he, – he had – the level which he got into, they shouldn't have knocked him down. But, you know, such is life. He had to get reprimanded. But I don't think, I think the idea was genius. Ingenious, some people would say. But uh, I think, because I think it's one of those things What's like. What's the difference between genius and ingenious? I don't know. It just sounded intelligent. Oh. <laughs> Somebody called me ingenious the other day. Oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I said my solution. Maybe genius is the person, ingenious is kind of the ideal. I'm going to Google it. Keep talking. So. One of the things, I, I mean, I was talking about COVID and, like, kind of how ingenious it was. One of the things was it's such an ingenious idea that, like, it's not a, it's not a black or a white. So, like, it's not just a, it's a universally bad idea. Like, even the male was like, hey, this cool. There was always in some, you see the shit he's doing. Everybody could, even, like, Rawls, the male, even um, Irv could see some, like, hey, this shit could possibly work type thing. It's just everybody was afraid of the repercussions if it didn't. Nobody was bold enough to say, hey, let's keep this. Let's keep trying this. So, side note, genius is a noun For while person. ingenious is an adjective. But, more importantly, genius refers to a high level of intelligence while ingenious refers to being clever or inventive. So, I just used it right. Don't I just say it? So, I think that that was an ingenious... You could be an ingenious genius. That's what I am, probably. <laughs> That's what I am, probably. <laughs> you better go on with your bad self. Oh, <laughs> you but, a genius, genius, you. That's but, how that's how we talk sexy, you uh, digital Darren listeners. <laughs> that's our sexy talk. Exactly, but mm-hmm. uh, I say that, like you said, he got screwed because really nobody above him was willing to take bite the bullet if it failed. Er was scared of the mail. The mail. It was election season. Was scared of voters and like how this would look. With voters, like I think the only person who would have been bold enough to accept it was Rawls, even though he don't really have like, yeah, real power. But everybody, everybody see that it's genius. Like he said, you did a hell of a job. It's just I can't tell my boss this. He mm-hmm. can't tell his boss this, and his boss can't tell the people that. So, but I, that was actually I thoroughly enjoyed that storyline. Like thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed that storyline. I would say probably. The last, well, the next storyline after that for me is probably, it hasn't been developed as much yet, but Lord Peter Beige. Carcetti. Yeah, I just got caught up. On Digital Day, I may call him Beige because I met him as Lord Peter Beige. Why are you always going to say people's whole names? How do you know, like, Peter? It may okay. Peter, man. I, I met him as Beige. Littlefinger. No. Oh, Netter. <laughs> Netter stuff. So. Carcade is going to always be Littlefinger to me because that's how I met him. So, Littlefinger, Carcade. Sorry about that. So, Carcade, I think that his storyline was interesting. I don't think they developed it as much or whatever because I. You'll see it developed in further seasons. I was going to say, it seems like a. It will become a major. Yeah, because like he. We talk about this in the wire. Most of the times, the episode before the last episode is the best episode. See, episode 11 is typically better than the season finale. And the season finale kind of wraps everything up. The reason I can say it's big because he, he never wrapped, they never wrapped him up. In, they introduced him and just basically left him there. Mm-hmm. Or so, like, that's why I feel like he's going to be around for a while. But I want to circle back to something you said with Marlo. I think that's kind of the same thing I feel about Marlo and his crew. They introduced them, and basically it was no wrap-up for them. Yeah, so, you don't know what's about to happen. Yeah, you don't know what's about to happen because a lot of the stuff – how they did Marlowe is how they did A1 and String in the first season. Like, you see them every once in a while. They don't really say much. But you can 
you can tell the major gonna be major players or whatever. So that's why I don't really have that much to say about Marlo them because like it seems like they're just dropping him in and say, "Hey, here's a person you might want to keep your eye on him," and that's it. And I, but I do think that inside that world, I think A one and everybody realize it in the world where you're not trying to give up shit. You re- you can recognize that hey. This motherfucker's coming on my ass at some point. Or coming up on me at some point. Well, I really do hope you like season four and season five. Because it's set pretty high, I mean, based off of what you said. I, I think that, again, we haven't even talked about Cuddy. I like the Cuddy. Even though I don't know, like, the relevance to it. Totality. I could just, maybe from the standpoint of, hey, there's somebody who was in the game who got, got out, got back in the game, then said it wasn't for him. Maybe he, maybe he develops the old kid. Maybe they play out further down the line of other seasons, or just a dude who's trying to, get, you know, got out of jail was trying to do right, but wrong comes so easily. He got out of that and wind up doing right, and what right is or whatever. So you know, I think that that I think that his story, I want to say interesting, but his story it was cool. Kim Kimo cheating, not knowing how to, you know, deal with the baby and deal with that life was cool. Um, well, two of the main storylines are very reduced in this, and that's McNulty and also Bubs. Like Bubbles isn't a, as key of a he's he's he still gives them everything they need to know. He tells them about Brother Muzone. He tells them about the East and the West working together, aka Stringer and Prop Joe. He gives them a lot of tidbits, but he does it quickly and not the normal. Well, like, they don't they don't use him this much in this season. I like so I think that. McNulty's probably next in this list, so we can talk about him. I think that you know. The problem with Minnesota, what they what they did, how they used him wrong was like the first two seasons, it was just Minnesota's a great cop, shitty life, right? Like you know what I'm saying? Like he looked like a t- a ten year old, an adult ten year old. But like in this season, it was like he was just screwing. Then all of a sudden, he wanted to have more, and you never saw that in the Minnesota or whatever. Like so, that was the part. That, like the overall concept of it made sense, right? Like this dude was just, and actually, that's a lot. Let me tie this back in. I think that one of the things we need to talk about is how Stringer getting killed affected Minolta. <laughs> well, that was pretty classic, right? So on the wire, they finally get enough to to be able to to get the, the Barksdale organization, right? So they're like, dicks are all happy. They're erect, hard. They're just, they're about to get Stringer. They're about to get Avon. And, and then, at this point, I, don't, I think Minolta doesn't even care about Avon. It's just, hey, Cause I got a one right, like he got, and then this goes back to McNulty's character, right? Like Stringer was the fish that got away. Mm-hmm. I find like it's not even about the Barstool organization a lot. I think it's I need to catch Stringer mm-hmm. to feel better about myself. Cause like even in the little inner, like even in the inner, in even in their exchanges, it wasn't about hey I'm gonna bring down the bar. Even when McNulty talk, he's not talking about the organization. He's like I'm Stringer, I got Stringer, and like. Somebody like Manolte, that has to, like, he has nothing else going on in life. Like, that person has to be, like, an infatuation slash. He was infatuated, and he got so excited. Like, he finally could arrest, you know, he probably finally going to show him, I'm the smartest one, not you, MFR. And then, boom, someone stole his shine. He was really so, I mean, like, literally they were so happy. They're about to have a parade. And someone stole their shine, which is crazy. He's mad that the dude is dead. The dude is dead. I think that so I think one of the funny lines of this like man no two sees the body like he don't even know how with that yeah like yeah no that, he's crazy McNulty's crazy and it's so like that part of it was I think that that part of it plus seeing how Stringer lived because when they finally did all he like who like, was who I the chasing hell is this guy yeah, yeah. I, I think he sophisticated worldly. <laughs> you give a lot of good adjectives right here. But I think that Manolta, so I think Manolta gave Stringer credit that he wasn't a normal hood cat. But I don't think he. The level at which. Yeah, the level at which he was or whatever. Like, it's a reason this motherfucker's gonna be James Bond, the next James Bond, right? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> they went over Manolta's head. But, like, that, that made him look at his life as a person because Lester told him. It's always going to be a next. Was it Lester Cole? One of them basically said, hey, don't get wrapped up in cases because it's always a next case mm-hmm. or whatever. All cases in. And I think that that was kind of the wake up call you needed to be like, hey, you can't just focus on mm-hmm. work or whatever. And like, 
he wound up going back being a foot patrolman and he was screwing this one lady who basically they fundamentally differ. We can spend a minute to talk about that. But he winds up <laughs> where he gets played. He was used to being the, you know, pimping out and whoring these other girls and using them. And now he's become the whore. And he didn't like it. No. Which you would think he would like. No, y'all men act like, you know. She turned the tables on him. And I forget her name, but she's Carcetti's PR person on campaign, campaign manager, manager whatever. Yo. It's funny because, like, they fundamentally sit, like, he said, you just look at me as a cock attached to a man. And I think ultimately that's what she, after that last conversation. How many times has he looked at the same version of a woman? That's agree, yeah, yeah. But it's just funny, like. Taste of your own medicine. More so than that, it's funny that, like, what he said was 100% true. And, like, when they had that conversation, they wind up really talking politics and basically she already looked down on him anyway. And it kind of like what he was saying, basically what he said made her confirm that, Hey, this is just, and he's, they both saw it in each other. Like, Hey, yeah, I do look down on you. Yes, I do look, yes, you do look down on you. And just, they both could see the writing on the wall at that point. And shameless plug, they brought in the girl from season two, I guess, who meant no to hasn't mentioned one time this whole season three. And he's having a come to Jesus normal. Like, hey, maybe we can get to know each other better, which, on, this only works in TV world. Well, he had, if in season two, he had gone to her house and had all intent of giving her the D. But when he got there, he realized, oh, shoot, there's kids. Like, he saw toys around. Then he saw, like, bills on the table and started to feel bad. Like, man, I can't just be dicking over this chick. Like, you know what I mean? I think highly of her. So I think the other, the mayor's PR, not PR person, campaign manager, had him thinking, like, damn, I want more. And the type of person I want more with is that type of person. See, I would think Stringer Bell dying and what Lester, whichever Lester Cova said was like, hey, I need more. Not so much I want more, but, like, this case is over and I don't get the gratification even telling the motherfucker, look, I got you. Yeah, and I'm getting used for a penis and I want to do more than just use my penis. So, that was the most interesting that Nota has been out of all three seasons. Even Kima. Well, no, I can't say I that. I didn't like Kima this season. She really pissed me all the way off. What? They didn't use her that much. That's why Bubbles wasn't around that much. That's because she became like a typical dude. Like, how you let this chick have a baby and then, you know, say that you didn't really want it. You just couldn't tell her no. Put on your big girl drawers and tell that chick no. Now you up here cheating on her and just being a piece of shit. Like, you ain't shit. Side note. Unrelated to this, I can see how a woman, I can see how a lesbian relationship with the woman would feel like that. She just, she ain't shit. So I could, but I could, so like, typically with guys, I could feel where you're coming from, right? But like, Kima literally had no part in this other than sit back and watch. So I could see how you could feel disconnected from the child, more so than normal. I mean, I get that, but if you want to be connected, it seems like Kima don't want to be connected. That's the difference. It seemed like she went from not knowing how to be to not, not wanting to be. I think in season two, she was like, I don't. After this chick done had her, well, not her baby, but had, like, I just think that's crazy. No, no, it is. I just, my, my point is I can see how Kima would feel disconnected. Mm-hmm. But she wasn't around, which is why Bubbles wasn't around. We can we can wrap up with Bubbles. Bubbles, he took the little boy on his wing selling white tees and stuff <laughs> like that. I mean, you like Bubbles. I love Bubbles. Actually, we'll wrap up with Omar. You like bubbles and like he wasn't really needed in this season. They just they just but look at all the information he gave him. Like I said, he told him about Brother Muzon. He, he told him about Marlo about the East and the West getting together. The prop Joe Stringer blah. That's how they got back onto Stringer. Um, that's how they were focused on prop Joe. He put them on to a couple of different things. As always, he just came through in the clutch. Well, I mean that's what he does, right? Like bubbles is. He's a man of the streets. On right? the other podcast I don't listen to, they call Bubbles the Ned Stark of snitches. <laughs> no, because Bubbles don't stay around longer than Ned Stark. But did. like the the all powerful, all whatever. I'll probably say he's the Ned Stark of junkies, not snitches. Because then his friend OD. Mm-hmm. So Johnny. Yeah, he probably the Ned Stark of. Stuff. We actually need to watch Kids because I can't believe you don't know who Telly is from Kids. Like, I can't believe you didn't watch that. Mm-mm. That was such a big deal. For real? Yeah. Like a national big deal or a double big so. deal? Apparently it was. 
Ask some people out. Ask some local people out there who've seen kids before when they. Yeah, when we get off this, let's send a little text out to your little crew. Have you ever seen the movie Kids? I'm willing to bet you I know if anybody did, I'll say who probably did see it. Come Who? He's not black. I'll give you a hint. Sammy D? That's probably the first. That's probably the one who did see Why? Because you think it's a not black thing because I said it? What kind of racist shit is that? No, no, no. Just because he would be more into looking at everything. Like back then, Calhoun was... He couldn't watch that stuff back then. <laughs> so, like, we always talk about these people's personal lives. I would just say it's probably Sam D. But anyway. <laughs> well, now let's see. So, now you guys hear it. So, let's see if Sammy D. You want to bet something? If whether or not Sammy D has seen it? Mm. Now, let's just bet the number of people who've seen it. Out of eight people, i say no more than two have seen it. Not including myself. I'm going to go higher than two. Okay. That's the bet. I'm going to send the text and we'll see. We'll let you know after season episode four, who, season four, who wins that. Who's all knowing. <laughs> so we hit on pretty much every storyline, right? We talked Avery. Well, you want to talk Omar, even though we talked about him with Super Muslim. Well, I mean, Omar, just this whole, I think him and Bonk had a conversation, right? Because like the girl gets killed, who he one he's rocking because of Omar kid. because he has a thing he's in infatuation the, with screwing over the Barksdale organization I'll tell you what the one thing Avon and Stringer do man they get chicks hooked on them <laughs> the cops freaking robbers everybody wants them <laughs> so I, I think that, like you said he feels some level of guilty about that so he you know he's trying to take out um, the Barstool organization, the Die Hard style. But more so than that, I thought an iconic moment was when he sat down to talk to Bump. Because another underlying story line is that this gun from the officer who got shot is missing. And basically, City Hall is put on the pressure to get this gun. And, you know, Omar gets guilt into helping the police indirectly. So he brings the gun or whatever. And Bump, him and Bump talking, you know, they already established they from kind of the same neighborhood. They went to high school together just at different times. And basically, you know, it was a little, how you would feel you see somebody you went to high school with, even though y'all on different sides of the law. Hey, man, hey, man, it was a mutual respect, right? And so, like, Bump gave him a good monologue about how, like, I was from the hood, but I was a straight kid and like, the hood, even though people think the hood is bad, it's good. It was good back then because like bad guys knew who were the bad guys, and if you weren't a bad guy, they pushed you away from. They they wouldn't let you be a bad guy. That was basically what Buck told Omar. He was like, "Now nah, your generation, you got kids wanting to be you, and that's not the hood we grew up in." So I thought that was a powerful moment for Omar, and I think that did like Omar because Omar is a he's a Wolverine, he's an anti-hero in this kind of thing, right? He's the cool guy who people want to be like who does the wrong things for the right reasons or whatever. So I think that that moment, I think that was a moment that Omar probably needed to hear. Cause like butchering them, just keeping them alive. Right. Like most people just keeping him alive. The people in his corner, this is one of those things where like, it's not about life. It's about what type of man are you ultimately? Mm. And Omar, they haven't shown those moments with him. And I think that even with brother moves on. Right. So like, you know, at the end, they, he, they kill string bear. They, leave each other with mutual respect. I think there's always been a respect for Omar and his talents, but nobody never talked talk to him as to, to him as a man or to a man, a man to a man conversation. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was good that he needed that. Mm-hmm. But Omar wasn't really he if bubbles was like a two if bubbles was used like ten percent this season, Omar was only used like fifteen percent. It's just that fifteen percent had the highest moment in the show or whatever. So that's it. I'm excited. Season four is my favorite season. I don't think it's going to be yours, but at least you got the best season of all time out of this, if nothing else. Yep. So let's wrap up like we always wrap up. We're going to do two things. What do you give this season on a scale of one to ten? I forget what I gave the others. What do you give this season? The best out of one and two. So the highest. I think I gave the other ones like a six point something, then a seven. So this one's close to an eight. This is a 20 out of 10. This is perfect. Sheesh. It's not perfect, but it's perfect. It's flawed, but it's perfect. So I would say, and then how we always wrap up, top five characters from this season. 
My top five characters don't really change. I'm kind of consistent. I don't fall in love with any of these new people. Slim Charles, uh, Cuddy, uh, um, Cheese, uh, um, who else? Like, my people are consistent. I don't, you, you be in it for these, these one hit wonders. So I'm going to give you my top five for the season. Go ahead. Avon and Omar, you got to take them as a combo deal at number one. I mean, Avon and Stringer, excuse me. You got to take them as a combo deal for number one. Like, I can't do one Avon, two Stringer, vice versa, one Stringer, two Avon. It has to be a combo deal at number one. <laughs> okay. Number two is Coven. I love, I think Bunny, even, I, I, I really do like what they deal with Bunny in that story. Well, he don't go away, so I'll, I'll have to give you that to you. For real? Mm-hmm. Number three is Slim Charles. I don't see how he could not go away. He basically kicked him off. Number three is Slim Charles. <laughs> I like old Slim. Slim let it, Slim let it ride. Again, you got to take Super Muslim and Omar as a, as a combo. Number four. You like Cuddy. I do like Cuddy, but I'm thinking shit, the Dyke Girl. We didn't say anything about the Dyke Girl. Oh, Snoop. The killer who, who's riding, which. Who, you were, who I read her book and you were like, what? Felicia Snoop Pearson. She has a book that was more so my what. Not so much that you read it. But um, number five would be Cuddy. Because I do think Cuddy. I don't know if he comes back, but I do think Cuddy. How they develop him. It's interesting how, like, you know, Marlo and none of his crew get into that. Into what? Like my top, in either one of our top five. I would think, like, because it's introduced him. I'm a, big, I'm a big fan of Snoop and Chris. I'll, yeah, but that, they that. didn't give you that much. No, that's season. what I'm saying. I w- you wouldn't get it here, but I'm a big fan. Like, that's why I got excited when I saw Chris. Oh, okay. Yeah, you did get it. So you like, Chris Parlow, you said mm-hmm. this whole night. You did what I do. Mm-hmm. So. And then you called the poor man ugly. <laughs> <laughs> hey. Damn, the man just can't be he looking a little rough. He got a rough look to him. Some women like it. <laughs> you, you ain't sh- uh, clean shaven over here. <laughs> Some women like it. <laughs> you ingenious genius you <laughs> <laughs> thank you guys for listening this has been digitaldarren.com go back and check out Darren Watches the Wire seasons 1 and 2 and make sure to tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend